Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This episode is episode 312, and we're talking about Cuba. That's right, we are just back from Cuba. It's been an amazing trip. A little bit trying at times, but absolutely worthwhile. Yeah, I definitely think that Cuba is one of the most different places we've been. I mean, I think we've been to about 70 countries now, and we've got an idea of how things work in different places. And Cuba does not work like that at all. It's quite different. No, it's unlike any other place in the world, and traveling there requires a different travel strategy. So we'll be talking today about uh, what we got up to, what we'd recommend, and some practical advice for getting around and getting to grips with Cuba. So what have we been up to recently? Well, just before we went to Cuba, we published one podcast, and then we've been offline completely for the last 12 days. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy. uh, we were in Cuba. From there, we flew out to Monterrey, where we stayed a couple of nights, and then we're here in Querétaro in Mexico. Yeah, we kind of ended up here by accident, because we were planning to go to San Miguel de Allende. We were looking at transport from Monterrey to San Miguel, and it basically meant an overnight bus. Now, I am... I was going to say I'm not a big fan of overnight buses, but I am a strong proponent of never using an overnight bus ever again. I really don't like it. (laughs) So that wasn't an option. And we looked into different ways of traveling, and uh, we found a blah, blah car, so like a ride sharing. But it was going the next day, and when I contacted the guy, he said, no, I'm not going to San Miguel, I'm going to Querétaro. We said, okay, well, yeah, we'll do that, we'll do that. So it was a good decision because he was a lovely guy, we had a really good conversation, and the car was really comfortable. Plus, because he was going at a really fast, fast speed. We got here a lot faster than we expected. So then we thought, well, why don't we see what it's like? We'll stay for a week. And that's what we're doing. We're going to stay here for a week and then go on to San Miguel at the end of the week. Yeah, it's lovely. I really feel like we're taking advantage of modern kind of sharing economy businesses at the moment because we use blah, blah car to get from A to B. And then now that we're here, we're using, we used Airbnb to find ourselves an apartment so it's quite funny. We just need to like catch an Uber somewhere and, we, and we'll have ticked off the trifecta. Yeah, well, I mean, Uber and uh, Blah Blah Car are both car sharing. So maybe we need oh, to yeah. find a food sharing. Mm, mm. That's not a terrible idea. Yeah, that would be quite good. Well, Querétaro is lovely. And I'm sure we'll talk more about it after we've explored it a bit more. But for right now, let's go to Cuba. And we'll kick off with this band that was playing on the street corner in Havana, the capital. Okay, so Cuba. First of all, why go? That's a great question. For me, the only answers before I went were to drink rum and smoke cigars. Well, you've done that, so are you happy about it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like many sugar-producing countries in the Caribbean, Cuba does a really good line in rum. And so we were drinking uh, Havana Club, which is the most popular export as well most of the time, but also trying some of the the other rums that are available. And there's a reason that most of those don't get exported. So Yeah, we definitely found Havana Club to be the best bit. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't really drink rum before I went there. And I found that when traveling, you know, you try the local flavors, the local food, the local drinks. And similar to what happened when we lived in Jerez, you know, we drank a lot of sherry while we were there, and now I love sherry. Well, going to Cuba, we drank a lot of rum, and now I love rum. It's a problem. It's, it's an issue that it's I have. It's a great problem to have. 
Yeah, unfortunately, we discovered that our favorite rum was probably the most expensive one, the Añejo Siete Años, or Seven Years. It was really delicious, so smooth. But we also drank a lot of mojitos, which is one of the, the major cocktails that you can get in Cuba. Some of them were excellent, and some of them were really bad, as you'd expect. The daiquiri is also also from Cuba, but, you know, we tried one. I wasn't that big a fan. Maybe I need to try some more. Smooth. So I was there for the drink and the uh, and the smokes. What What did you go for? Well, I went mostly because... Well, Ange was coming over to travel with us, and she was really, really super keen to go to Cuba. So I let myself be caught up in the enthusiasm. And when I looked into it, I thought, oh, this does look really interesting. You know, I read about how it seems to be stuck in time. There's all these old buildings and old cars and, yeah, rum and cigars and flavor and music. And it just sounded like a really interesting place. So, yeah, it was. Great. Well, let's tick off a couple of practicalities and then talk about what there is to see and do in a lot more detail. So first of all, where is it? Well, it's the largest island in the Caribbean. The US and the Bahamas are to the north, Mexico's to the west, Jamaica's to the south, and then there's a chain of Caribbean islands stretching off to the east, starting with Hispaniola, which is the main island which houses uh, Haiti and the Dominican Republic. It's pretty easy to get there, uh, especially from where we were in Mexico. We jumped on a flight out of Cancun, which took 45 minutes start to finish. Even though it's an island amongst a chain of other islands, there are no ferry services or anything like that. But we have spoken to a few people that have their own boat and are cruising around. So if you're interested in that but don't have the cash flow to buy yourself a yacht, there are uh, kind of crew-finding websites around the place that you can look at and uh, join up as volunteer crew to go on a small yacht around the place. We looked into that and found it a little bit difficult because when you want to fly to Cuba, you have to have return flights. You have to have your onward ticket. And uh, we originally just bought one-way tickets from Cancun to Havana. And then, yeah, in order to get into the country, we had to have our flights out again. So going by boat wasn't really an option. Because the embargo with the U.S. is being cancelled at the moment, ferry services from Miami are starting to, to come up. We saw quite a lot of websites advertising ferry services from Miami. But unfortunately, they're not up and running yet because Americans still can't travel legally to Cuba. But soon, soon, that will be a possibility. Getting around the island was really easy. The main bus service was called Via Zul for foreigners. There are local buses, but if you look foreign, you won't be able to get on them. There are also taxi services, which are great for uh, short journeys around town, but also intercity. So you can book a taxi in advance at a prearranged price to travel for hours and hours and hours. I think our longest car journey we took was about eight hours. That's right. Uh, And it was going to be about 11 hours by bus. So we were definitely winning. It was really good for us because we were a group of four, so we could book out the whole taxi. But you can also organize like a ride share kind of thing where you can either go into the info office or talk to taxi drivers directly or ask your host at your Casa Particular to organize it for you. And then you'll have one seat in a taxi going the direction you want to go. Unfortunately, sometimes the taxi drivers want to make as much money as possible and they'll cram four people into the back seat. So it might not be as comfortable as having the whole car to yourself, which you can also do if you're willing to pay the price. That's right. There are rental cars available as well. And we spoke to several groups of travellers that had rented a car. Their only issue was with the quality of the roads. But I found them to be better than they were in the Yucatan and Chiapas in Mexico. So I guess it really depends on where you're coming from and what you're used to. They're certainly very drivable for people like us that grew up driving in New Zealand with a mix of highway, residential road and country road. 
Now, I just mentioned Casas Particulares, which is a form of accommodation in Cuba. Before we went, we were looking at different options, and we just couldn't get our head around where we might be able to stay. And we were looking at hotels and kind of homestay options, but everything looked really expensive. Then when we were in Merida, we were given a card for a Casa Particular, and we rang up to make a booking. We found out that basically a Casa Particular is a, a local house where the host rents out one or two bedrooms. Usually there's just two or maybe three rooms that are available for, for tourists. Each room has usually two beds and a private bathroom, so it was perfectly comfortable, kind of one to two star level accommodation. Not not really flash, but but nice enough. Yeah, it's like a, a budget B&B. Yeah. And we found it really great staying in these Casa Particulares because we had contact with local people. We were contributing directly to them instead of giving money to the government. And it just, it was really, really affordable as well. We paid 20 US dollars per room and uh, we could have two or three people in each room. If you're traveling alone, then it's 20 US dollars just for you. So it might be worth getting a travel buddy. The other option are the hotels, which are currently all government run and operated they seem to be very expensive. The rack rates that we saw advertised were about 100 to 220 US dollars a night. So they are not for people on a budget, and the quality of them from what I saw does not represent that level of pricing. Yeah, we definitely recommend staying in Casa Particulares. You get contact with local people, you get a com- comfortable room, and the, uh, the hosts will often provide you breakfast and dinner at an extra price, which is definitely worth doing. Yeah, we heard a lot about the food or read a lot about the food before we arrived saying how bad it was. And to be honest, we did not find it bad at all. We had some average experiences. In fact, most of our experiences were average, Mm -hmm. neither wonderful nor terrible. And it's on a similar level to budget, food, everywhere in the world. Uh, There are lots of restaurants around where you can get a meal for between 5 to 10 US dollars. Eating in Casas Particulares cost us seven or eight per person, and that was very good value because you got this huge spread of meat and rice and beans, salads. Sometimes drinks were included, usually not. You have to buy buy those separately, but it was really great. We also had street food, very cheap street food like pizza, fruit from vendors, things like that. So that was really good. And you know me, I was all about the coffee. Cuba has its own coffee production, and when we were out in Vinales, we got to go out to one of the plantations and see the kind of old-fashioned style of making, roasting, grinding coffee. But the kind of coffee that you could buy in restaurants and street stalls around the place varied greatly. Some of it had torrefacción, which is where the coffee is already mixed with sugar before it's kind of bagged and sold. And so even when we'd ask, can we get coffee without sugar, people would say yes. But then the sugar granules were already in the coffee they were making. So we got stung by that a couple of times. That was mostly from street vendors because they made the coffee in a stovetop espresso machine, put it in a thermos, and then just poured out a shot for each person. Mm. In the restaurants, most of the time, it was good quality. Yeah, that's right. And there was, were some cafes and hotels with world-class espresso, but it was really hit or miss. So when we've been talking about money up till now, we've been talking in US dollars, even though the US dollar is not legal tender in Cuba. It used to be, but it hasn't been since about 1993. However, the main currency, the CUC, convertible or cook, it's got lots of different names, is pegged one-to-one to the US dollar. Yeah, we read a lot about money in Cuba before heading there because it seemed like every blog post and article we read about Cuba was just talking about this dual currency system. But it's nowhere near as hard to grasp as other articles will make you think. So don't worry about it. 
Yeah, the currency you'll be using the most is the convertible peso or the CUC, which is pegged one to one to the US dollar. So one CUC is the same as one US dollar. Nice and easy. Now, the other currency is the Morena Nacional, which is the CUP or MN. In Cuba, you'll mostly see it referred to as the MN, Moneda Nacional. One CUC is worth 24 Moneda Nacional. And it's definitely worth carrying some Moneda Nacional because you can use it for street food, pastries, sandwiches, drinks, ice cream, things like that in the street. Obviously, it's best to use the Moneda Nacional when you're buying things in that currency. But if you don't have any, you can use the convertible peso. Try to get the lowest denomination you can, like a, a one cook coin, to pay for things if you're paying in Moneda Nacional. And you'll get your change back in the local currency. Yeah, so after you get a little bit of change built up, you'll find things really easy to buy. You can get sandwiches for 20 cents or cups of coffee for kind of 15 cents uh, when you're buying in uh, Nacional. Yeah, we found, you know, you could sometimes get a drink for one peso, which is the equivalent of four cents. Or a cup of coffee would be two pesos, something like that, which is eight cents. Yeah, Linda claims she had the most amazing fruit juice of her life, which cost five Nacional. And that's... 20 15, cents. 20 cents. It was yeah. so delicious. Guava juice. Oh, my favorite. Now, getting money can be a bit of a challenge. We used our Visa debit card at the ATM at the airport, and we had no problems at all. We came out of the airport, turned right, and there was a huge line waiting for the currency exchange. Then just inside the door, there was an ATM that no one was using. But we had no problems with throwing cash. Uh, there is a 3% charge on all withdrawals, and I think also on all exchanges, so be prepared for that. Yeah, we withdrew um, 800 cook, so 800 US dollars, and we ended up paying 824 plus our bank charges. But yeah, it was really simple. Yeah, We also had some people traveling with us who had cash in hand. Uh, exchanging US dollars, you're going to get a really terrible exchange rate uh, due to government tax on it. So it's much better to have uh, euros, Mexican pesos, Canadian dollars. All of those currencies have a much more favorable exchange rate. But when you go to exchange them, you need to give yourself at least an hour because you're going to stand in line for at least half an hour. And uh, you'll need your passport with you. There's one more way to get money, and that's also in the same place where you exchange money. And that's to use a card to make a withdrawal over the counter. So once again, you'll need your passport. You hand over a, a valid card in your passport. They'll swipe it through kind of a, an on-the-desk ATM machine and then uh, hand over the equivalent amount of money that you're withdrawing. Yes, you can do that either at Akadeka, which is an exchange house, or at a bank. Uh, Make sure that you take a Visa card or Visa debit or just straight Visa credit card because MasterCard is very, very hard to use. Also, your regular FBOS cards, the Maestro or Cirrus cards, they won't work anywhere, and no US debit or credit cards will work. I'm not sure about Amex, though. I didn't read anything about Amex, but definitely Visa is the best way to go. Cool. Well, let's skip the practicalities now and talk about the places, which is really the the places and the people are what made this Cuba trip. So let's start with Havana, which is where you're most likely to fly into. I really liked Havana. It, had, it seemed to have a lot of life, even though the buildings seemed to be crumbling around us. Lots of people, lots of music, lots of food, lots of smells. It was great. I, on the other hand, didn't like it at all. I felt bombarded by touts. I was so saddened by all of these beautiful buildings from maybe the 18th, 19th century just crumbling away uh, with no upkeep at all. 
it made me very sad and the constant hassling by people on the street was really tough for me. Yeah, I get the feeling that Havana is a love it or hate it kind of place. Definitely. Uh, We'll talk more about dealing with touts and some of the other issues you might encounter later in the show. But first of all, Linda, what was good about Havana? Well, it was just a nice place to walk around. Before we got there, I downloaded an app because, well, one thing we haven't mentioned is the complete lack of internet in, in Cuba. It was a real challenge. There is internet. It is available. There's Wi-Fi, but it's extremely limited. Basically, the, the major hotels will have a, an internet connection. You buy a card to access it. costs two cooks or two US dollars. And then you've got to you know, enter in your, your username and password to connect. Then we found that the connection wasn't that great. So if you bought an hour, you'd maybe get 45 minutes to 50 minutes of use. Yeah, uh, half of the devices we had with us between five of us worked uh, with the system and the other half wouldn't connect at all to the system. They ran out of cards to sell pretty much daily. And yeah, sometimes the internet just dropped off completely, leaving you logged in and burning all of your money. Yeah, so if you want to have any information about Cuba before you go on the internet, make sure you look up before you go. Don't expect to be able to find it out once you get there. Anyway, I downloaded an app before we left and uh, created just a little walking tour around the city, and that was really good. We visited the Malecon, which is the seawall, from where we could see a fortress. That was really great. Uh, We walked around to the cathedral, which was really cool because it was asymmetrical. The towers were completely different sizes. Apparently it had something to do with street drainage. I'm not sure exactly what. There was also a yacht that was used by the rebels, uh, Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, Raul Castro, and a whole group of others, to get to Cuba during the, the revolution. We also visited the Patagas Tobacco Factory, which is currently closed for renovation, but is a beautiful old building. The Capitolio, which is uh, which is very similar to the um, Capitol building in Washington, D.C., but also currently under reconstruction, so we couldn't go in. It's no longer a government building. It's actually being used by the Academy of Sciences now, but really worth seeing. And we also saw the, the Castillo de Real Fuerza, which is another fortress, quite a useless fortress because it was really far down into the city so it wasn't really very useful at defending the city when it was built yeah it's like let's let enemy ships into the harbor and then start attacking them really bad idea and there were lots of very nice plazas full of trees and benches and statues and all sorts of things one of the big things i wanted to do while there was to tour the tobacco factory that makes the cigars that i tend to smoke uh cohiba and romeo y juliet Luckily, that was the same building as they. Oh, most of the brands are made in the same government-run tobacco factory. There were some issues around it, though. Oh my goodness! Because we found the tobacco factory and confirmed that it was Ten Cook to go on a tour with the Info Tour, which is the government-run information services. So one morning we jumped up and walked for half an hour, 40 minutes from where we were staying out to the tobacco factory that we had confirmed was able to do tours. And we got there and talked to the security guard. They said, look, you can't do a tour here. You need to go around to this other factory building. There were other people going in and doing tours. So he said, well, why can they do it and and we can't? And they said, well... Only one company has the right to do tours of this building, so you have to go around there. So we were upset, and we went round to the other one, where they said, yeah, you can do a tour, where's your ticket? And we said, we thought we'd buy it here. They said, no, 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 you can only buy it in the centre. And we went, great, this is the information the tour office should have given us when we were talking to them about it. 
So a couple of our group had to jump in a taxi, go back into town, buy tickets and come back. Now they bought tickets to the Romeo and Juliet factory, which is the one I wanted to go to. And we took our tickets, which said a, f- a factory tour and had been confirmed by the person selling it that would be of the Romeo and Juliet building. But once again, we spent 20 minutes arguing with the security guard and weren't allowed in. So even though we'd been sold a ticket to Romeo and Juliet, we went to the other factory. <sighs> Eventually, That's Cuba. That is Cuba, yeah. We had to wait about 15 minutes for a guide to become available. And then the tour was a lot shorter than we expected, maybe about 20 minutes. During the tour, we found out that Romeo and Julieta cigars were made there as well. So it didn't really matter that we didn't get to go to the Romeo and Julieta building because the factory we were in made cigars from almost all the brands. It seems that the different buildings make cigars of different sizes rather than focusing on one brand. We ended up seeing what Craig wanted to see, but it was quite frustrating. Yeah, in the end, it was a good experience. It was just what I wanted and just not what I wanted all at the same time. And for me, that's what I feel a lot of traveling Cuba was like. You go to do thing A and you'd end up doing thing B, which was what you thought thing A was going to be like. Yeah, yeah. And it just takes a bit longer and it's a bit harder than you might have expected to get to do it. Well, from tobacco to tobacco, our next destination was Vinales, which is a few hours to the west of Havana. Everyone else in our group really liked Vinales, but I found it to be just the typical tourist town. Our guidebook, which was 10 years old, said that Vinales was a very small town, not much to do, not much to see, not very many places to stay, but it has certainly grown since then. Now it's quite a large town, and every second house is a Casa Particular, so there are lots of places to stay. We'd booked ours in advance, so when we got off the bus, our host was waiting for us. But there were a lot of other people waiting at the the bus station, hoping to get tourists to come and stay at their houses. So, you know, it was kind of that that pressure, the touts, the people wanting your money again. Yeah, it really reminded me of traveling around certain areas in Southeast Asia or in, say, Peru or Bolivia. where You get to the bus station and arrive, and there's 50 people there trying to get you to, to stay at their place. There are quite a lot of things to do in Vinales, but it mostly involves leaving the, leaving the town itself and going off to do things. There are some nice buildings to see. There's a nice little town square, and there's a hop-on, hop-off bus tour to see the main sites, which we didn't do because when we looked into it, the main sites didn't seem very exciting. But what I really enjoyed doing was a morning walking tour that we did, which took us out to the tobacco plantations, out to the coffee plantations, uh, for a swim in a lake, for a walk under a a cave system under one of the karst mountains. It was a really cool little trip, which you can do either on foot or by horse. But everyone that we spoke to that did the horse trip recommended going by foot. (laughs) We we enjoyed walking it, although we did feel like we paid more than we should have because we let ourselves be convinced by the owner of our cast particular. And uh, she was saying, oh, you know, it should be 25, but it's actually 20. But when we talked to other people... They said they only paid 10, 10 cook for it. So, you know, I felt a little bit ripped off. I think when you're in Cuba, you're going to be ripped off at least once. And we'll talk a little bit more about ways that you can get ripped off later in the podcast. However, we did have an excellent guide. So I feel like we got a lot of value out of it. I was pretty happy with uh, paying over the, over the top odds. I mean, the price was still totally fair, but I don't like paying more than what other people are paying. So from Vinales, we also went out to the beach on a day trip. We went to Cayo Yutia. Uh, there's another option, Cayo Levisa, which has a big resort and a lot more infrastructure. 
but we wanted to sit on the beach, go for a swim, go for a snorkel, have some beers and just relax. So Kaya was the perfect day trip for us. Yeah, that's right. If you want to go to Kaila VC, you pretty much have to hop on a day tour because going by yourself gets really expensive because you've got to pay for the taxi and then you've got to pay for a boat out to the to the Kaio itself. And uh, Kaiohutia was basically just a beach. We hired a car and driver, just went out there. He waited for us for four or five hours and then took us back. And that was a really good way to do it. Yeah, it was awesome. We also saw on that same day the worst tourist attraction I've ever seen in my life and certainly the worst in Cuba. Now, this was one of the attractions you could go to see on the Hop On Hop Off bus tour, and it's called the Mural of Prehistory. Now, this does not mean that it was made in prehistory, but rather that it is a, an enormous mural painted on, on a cliff that depicts what prehistory might have been like. It's big and bright with red and blue, lots of color. There's a dinosaur, there's some cavemen. It is so bad. Now, luckily, we could see it from the road, so we just stopped, took some photos and moved on. But if you want to go, you actually have to pay an entrance fee of about three cooks, which I just can't imagine. Apparently, there's a nice restaurant there as well, but don't go there. Don't. Just don't. No, it's it's so cool. I mean, apparently, Fidel rocked up there one day and said, you know, we need some we need some prehistoric artwork up here. And it took, I think I read 10 people five years to 15 complete people. it. 15, 15 people. 15 people. And it looks to me like it could be done in about a month. Um, oh, it was quite big. It was, it was very creationist focused, with the humans cohabiting with the with the dinosaurs, and you know, it was it was fascinating. It was amazing, very amazing. Well, from Vinales, we jumped in a very long car trip to go to Trinidad. So this was when we spent pretty much the whole day from ten in the nine or ten in the morning until five, just sitting on the highway. And Luckily, it was pelting down with rain. This was the only day that we had terrible weather on our trip, so it couldn't have worked out better. Trinidad, Cienfuegos, and Santa Clara are three small cities that are kind of in a triangle shape, about an hour, an hour and a half apart between each of them. And they were the three places that we spent the rest of our time in Cuba. They were really worthwhile. Yeah, Trinidad was a really pretty town. We just wandered around, saw the buildings, had some lunch from street food vendors, and it was just a nice place to be. The, I think the highlight, though, was going to the outdoor music concert, which is held every night at the Casa de la Musica. We sat out outside, heard some music, there were some dancers, really amazing dancers, uh, some singers, and we were sold the worst mojitos of our trip. They came in plastic glasses that were really small, and they were three cooks as opposed to, well, I mean, that's a kind of standard price. Between two and three cooks per, per drink is pretty standard. But they were, we, we don't think the rum used was Havana Club. It was bad. I, I don't think it was rum at all. But yeah, there were other drinks available. So even though we got told when we first arrived just the cocktails list, uh, I ended up sitting down with a nice glass of rum for two cook later on after I'd got through that one. Yes, definitely recommended. Buy a regular rum, straight rum, or uh, a bottle of water or something like that rather than a cocktail. Just just from this place. Most of the time the cocktails were really good, but in this case, no way. The uh, the main thing wasn't the drinks, was it? It was the uh, people dancing and then the professional dancers, and it was the music. So definitely. here's a little bit of music from the Casa de la Musica in Trinidad. From 
Trinidad on to Cienfuegos, which was my favorite stop in our time in Cuba. I think it was everyone's favorite stop. It was just a really beautiful place to be. We stayed in a really nice Casa Particular. It was just great. But there wasn't much to do there. So it was probably a combination of how tired we were after 10 days of travel, as well as the fact it's just a beautiful colonial town that's well kept up with pretty buildings, nice plazas, nice walks, and all based around a harbour in the bay, which was full of pretty reflections and beautiful boats. Yes, I think if you're running, if you're going really fast on your travels through Cuba, you can visit Cienfuegos, Santa Clara, and Trinidad in a day each, or even half a day each. There's not that much to see. But I think what we did, we had two days in Trinidad and two days in Cienfuegos, and I think that was the right way to do it. We could just relax, kind of soak up the atmosphere, discover some of the restaurants, listen to some music, and just wander around. So that was really good. As well as the main square, which has a whole lot of pretty buildings in it, the walk uh, along the Paseo to Punta Gorda was one of my favourite things. There's a lot of small attractions along the way, like uh, sculpture gardens and a big kind of Moorish-style palace that was built by someone. But getting out towards the end there and sitting having a beer in one of the bars right on the water just felt perfect. It was a, a nice walk followed by good drinks and then back again. Yeah, and on the way back we visited the lagoon, which was full of boats, and that was quite cool. While we were there, we didn't do one of the cyclotaxi tours that were offered to us. But what we did was, just as it started to rain, we flagged a couple down and got them to take us back to our accommodation. At least that was the plan. That was the plan. But what happened instead is they drove us for about 20 metres and then pulled into a petrol station where we waited out the rain uh, under the kind of canopy of the forecourt. So we didn't save the time that we wanted, but it opened up a huge couple of conversations, uh, which were really good, eh? Yeah, we had a really good time. I think conversations were what made the Cuba trip for us. Talking to the, the drivers, uh, the cyclo drivers, talking to the car drivers, our uh, Casa Particular hosts, just really amazing. Absolutely. And just trying to wrap our heads around what socialism means for Cuba at this time and what it means for people and, and how they live and how they interact with the outside world or don't interact with the outside world. Mm. And, yeah, just so many social, political, economic oddities. Yeah. I think the main thing we learned is that most Cubans earn the equivalent of about 20 US dollars a month, and that's not really enough to live on. So a lot of people are trying to, to get money from the tourists, which is perfectly understandable. Some people are doing this legitimately with uh, car businesses or having a cars particular, and some people are doing it illegitimately through scams and ripping people off. So that was quite unfortunate. We had a, a few encounters with people who were trying to rip us off. For example, at one point, Janine bought something using the convertible cook, and uh, she paid, I think it was supposed to be one cook, so she paid three and got a change back in Moneda Nacional, and that means that she got basically one twenty-fifth of what she should have. Another scam that's around at the moment is the jineteros or touts, and they'll quite often attach themselves to you and try to encourage you to go to a certain restaurant or bar or, or stay in a certain casa, but if you go with them, then you'll get charged through the nose. At one of our casas, a group of people also stayed there, and they, they had been brought in by a tout, and our host explained to us that she had to charge them 10 pesos more, or 10 cooks more, because that money went straight to the tout. 
And so this is one way to avoid the jineteros, especially around accommodation, is to use the informal network that exists between all of the Casa Particular owners. So you can say to them, look, I'm going next to Cienfuegos. Do you know someone there? And they'll have a, a distant family member or a cousin or a, just a friend that's connected with them that refers people to them and they refer back. Because we were using that network, we were able to keep our prices low because we weren't paying commissions all the time. We're just part of this informal network of, of connections. Yeah, that was a really good way to do it. Uh, another scam that we saw is one that's typical all over the world, which is just that little bit of overcharging where an extra kind of meal gets slipped in or the maths is done wrong. It doesn't add up to much, but it was just a pain to constantly be trying to make sure you weren't getting done for an extra 10 to 30 percent by, you know, having to do the maths on your bill. My favorite version of this scam was we went into one restaurant in Vinales and the menu was perfectly laid out, had all the things that were available, but no prices. So we asked, how much do these things cost? And they said, oh, it's, it's seven pesos for these meals and eight for these ones. We didn't want to eat there that day, so we came back the next day. And Luis went in to ask about how much a lobster meal was. And they were, he was told, 10 pesos. We said, okay, that's fine. The next day, we decided to eat there. So we went in and sat down, and we said, um, oh, we just wanted to check how much are the meals. And they said, 10 pesos per person, 10 cooks per person. And we said, hang on, we were told it was seven. And they said, oh, well, let me just go and check. So they went and checked. Came back and said, yes, yes, seven pesos, that's right, it's seven cook per person, including the lobster. So at the end of the day, we paid seven cook per person or seven cook per meal. And the prices just seemed to vary depending on, you know, who walked in the door. So that was very interesting. Absolutely. Well, before we finish up, let's talk about the last place that we went, which was Santa Clara. Now, we only went in there and stopped just for the morning because uh, as far as we could tell, it was a pretty little, quite a a large town, certainly not city size. But uh, what we wanted to go and see was the memorial to Che Guevara. I really think that visiting the memorial is worth doing because in addition to having Che's remains and the remains of other people who were killed at the same time as him in, in Bolivia, there's quite a good little museum with information about his life and you know, some of his books and, and things like that, just real items that he used or belonged to him. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a curiosity, but it, I really enjoyed going. I feel like I've got a better idea of who he was and, and how he fit into the Cuban Revolution thanks to going. Uh, all the information was in Spanish, so if you're not a Spanish speaker, you might want to try and make friends with someone who is to explain a little bit more about what's going on but a lot of the realia a lot of the items just kind of speak for themselves that's right it's free to enter but be prepared for very long lines to get in we waited for about an hour all of the tour buses stopped there so yes it's going to be a bit of a wait yeah and it's a good connection between habana and cienfuegos or uh, trinidad for example Mm -hmm. it adds a couple of hours onto the trip but it doesn't kind of cost very much extra to have a private driver go out of their way and if you're on a, an organized tour, which you might be, even if you're listening to this, uh, you're definitely going to stop there whether you want to or not. So as you can probably tell, we have very mixed feelings and mixed opinions about going to Cuba. There were parts of it that I really loved, but for me it was really the conversations with the people. We were able to get under the skin of things a little bit that really made it for me. Havana made me sad in the way that it's a city on the verge of collapse almost 
But all of the other places around gave me a lot of hope and really introduced me to to another side of Cuba that I really enjoyed being part of. I found it really interesting because Cuba is definitely changing at the moment. It's changing slowly. Our guidebook was quite often perfectly correct in terms of prices, distances, availability of items, that kind of thing. And as you said, that was 10 years old. And it's 10 years old. But then again, a lot of things are changing. Like I said, Vinales is growing. The fact that people can now get licenses to start private businesses is quite a new thing. Only in the last five or six years has it been easy for people to do that. In the last two years, it's become a lot easier. So now private individuals can have businesses, which means that a lot of people are starting to have better lives because they have access to the tourist dollar. And I don't know, I think it's worth going now before things change too much because it really is on the brink of change. And with the U.S. embargo kind of dying and being removed at the moment, I think Cuba is going to become a lot more touristy in the near future. Yeah, it's certainly setting itself up for that uh, with the relaxation around small business, focus on ecotourism, with a huge growth in Casa Particulares. But they're just on the verge of having enough infrastructure to deal with the amount of tourists at the moment. So I don't know what's going to happen when American travel to Cuba is kind of fully realized, and I'm sure there'll be a rush of people wanting to to get in there. Cool. So what's up next for us over the next few weeks? Well, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. We're here in Querétaro for a week, and then we're heading to San Miguel de Allende. I think we've got about a week in Guadalajara because we've got flights from Guadalajara to Costa Rica. Then we'll be in Costa Rica just very quickly because we're making our way to Panama to do a house sit for three weeks. Then after that, we're not sure. Yeah, so that'll take us through until uh, about February. And don't worry if you're uh, worried about missing us over Christmas. We're going to be doing one more podcast this year. So you'll have something to listen to if you get a new iPhone for Christmas. (laughs) Well, I think that's us for this week. Until next time, travel well.